Hey you guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode 461 now of the Ron and Don Show, and yep, we are live from the Les Schwab Studios. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, we're going to tell you about a great new home we have for sale in Mill Creek, and maybe, yeah, maybe you want to consider buying a home like this. Also, let's talk about sports, what's happening with the Mariners right now, what's happening with the Seahawks right now, and what is happening with Tom Brady and Giselle right now. Is this my time? Because I always thought that Giselle and I might have a little something-something, but Tom Brady always stood in the way. So maybe uh, this is my opportunity. Before we get to that, though, uh, let's get to this. Uh, I want to talk real quick about the hurricane cleanup that's happening right now in Florida. Uh, We have to understand when it comes to Florida, there's a lot of people in the Midwest a vacation in Florida. I know that we did, being a Midwestern person. You go to Florida, you go to the Southwest. And then you end up moving to one of those places when you get older, or you end up going to college. So if you ever go to Florida State or Arizona State, if you happen to be on those campuses, which I have, ask people where they're from, and you're going to find out a lot of these young people going to school there, they're from Illinois, they're from Wisconsin, they're from Michigan. And that they call it the big Midwest brain drain when people vacation in those places they grow up and they're like hey where would I like to go to school and then you go to school there you're like hey where would I like to live and so you have a lot of people that end up uh even later in life like Ron's parents why, why did your parents go to Naples for instance they were in New Mexico why did they leave New Mexico and why did they go to Florida and I, then I want and then I want then I want to talk about the the cleanup that's initially happened. it's because my my aunt uh was having some health issues and so they moved down there to assist with Aunt with Tilly her, Aunt Tilly yeah so that was the, the first thing and then they just fell in love with it yeah. And, and for a lot of people, the reason they like going there is they like the sensibility of the politics there, because a lot of politics in Florida is very similar to what you see in the Midwest. And then also in the great state of Washington, there's a lot of tax breaks, right? You don't pay a state income tax. When places like Texas and Florida, there's a lot of tax breaks, especially for people that are retiring. And so that's why now Florida has become the land of 10 million homes. What's really crazy about this for people that have hurricane insurance, they're going to find out that hurricane insurance isn't necessarily flood insurance. And there's going to be a lot of fights with insurance companies that don't want to pay because they're going to say, hey, you know what took you out? You know what took you out here? It was the water. It wasn't the wind. Ron, during Katrina, you faced some similar things. What can you say specifically about insurance and do you think there's a lot of people in florida that are going to ha- have a hard time recovering because the insurance companies are going to fight back right oh absolutely and, and and most people including me you don't read your policy you go in and you make assumptions about your policy and then you turn out to be wrong so you're right and, and th- this happens in to bring this home to the pacific northwest many people think they would be covered with if an earthquake happened on their primary residence and you are not 
uh, er, most earthquake policies are separate from your homeowner's policy. So you could think, oh, yeah, if that big earthquake comes, I'm covered. You might not be. Like, you might want to call your insurance carrier and say, am I covered if an earthquake happened? Uh, and they would go, no. And so it's very, very interesting uh, to, to look at this and the way that it works out. So down in the south, insurance companies are there to make money. Like that, that's their job. Their job is not necessarily to, to protect your house. Insurance companies exist to, to make money for their shareholders. Unless you're all state or farmers. Yeah. Like a good neighbor, state farmers. Right. Everyone so, knows that. They're, so just, that's, they're just trying to be a good neighbor. It's not about making money. It's about so neighbor, being neighborly. The policies typically for flood are, are not covered under your homeowner's policy. And many of the flood companies... Uh, are just not solvent enough, so there are some government programs that had to step in and 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 issue insurance premiums. So how do, how does Florida get rebuilt? And are there parts of Florida like like I was just sharing with you? I'm we're doing this podcast right now. I'm up on a second story. We're looking down at the water, and if I look at my Garmin watch, it says that I am 177 feet above sea level. So I got about 177 feet here to play with before I have to deal with with a flood. When you look at some of these homes that were wiped out in Florida, where the home was, the home is gone, but the land is gone too. So do you fill that land back in and build another home? It seems like it would be uninsurable now. How does Florida get rebuilt? I mean, I don't know if I'm smart enough to answer that question, but my my frame of reference of going back to Katrina you know, I had a house in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi as well that, that was destroyed. And that would be like going from Seattle to Tacoma. It had nice beaches over there. There's a lot of those beach houses that just didn't get rebuilt. Is that right? They, um, you know, the, the, there was a house on the beach. It got destroyed. And those families just like took whatever insurance they could. Mm-hmm. And like that was that. Yeah. Uh, they did not rebuild. Some of them did, um, but but a lot of them didn't. Those building codes are different, though, than they are in, in Florida. So the devastation you see in Fort Myers, um, the heaviest hit neighborhoods right on the water, those folks are usually pretty well off. Like if you're living on the beach in Flo- on the Florida coast, you have some resources. It's the ones that are behind that. Uh, where maybe you're a half a mile in or a mile in where you would have pockets of lower income communities and even trailer parks and stuff that are just artifacts from before. So I think what's going to happen is that the wealthier folks are going to take this as an opportunity to go, hey, you know, now that this has all been destroyed, maybe we don't want a trailer park that's three quarters of a mile from the beach. Maybe we don't want these uh, little smaller lots that used to live here. Why don't we take this opportunity to rezone this entire waterfront thing, build in some new infrastructure. And so like, dude, you would be surprised. We we have some expensive real estate here in Washington and in Naples, there's a whole section of every Sunday newspaper that is real estate from 10 million to 25 million and then 25 million to 50 million. There are special inserts. Uh, they break it down by price point, and there are houses there that are fifty to a hundred million dollars. Wow. Where they, there's so many of them, you have to have your own section of the real estate newspaper for it. Crazy. So, like, we rarely see a house in Seattle go for fifty million. It's every single week down there. There's uh, my my soon to be uh, nephew-in-law works in real estate in Naples. Someone walked into their office. You know, they have a, a retail space on on the main drag there by the by the beach. Uh, a client walked into the office, said, "I'm looking at a house. 
picked up an agent there sitting at the desk and they bought a $50 million house wow. because they had come from New York as stock money market or stock market money. And they just wanted to, that was their second home. Yeah. So they had a house in New York and then a house in Naples for 50 million. They just walked in same day, bought it yeah. with the guy sitting behind. So the story out this morning saying that there's a community in Florida that they built, they, they built the community for this. They built it for the wind. They built it for the storm surge. And they also built for the aftermath of not having utilities. They said we're all solar. Uh, they had minimal damage. I think this was in Naples as well. They had minimal damage. They've cleaned up now. Uh, their power never went out, and they still have water. So what say you? Do you think we're going to see more of this in, in, in places like Florida? And, and you can think about what Brad Pitt did 16, 17 years ago, trying to rebuild the Lower Ninth Ward. Ended up getting sued for it, right? He built 20, 25 homes. If you go to the Lower Ninth Ward in in uh, in New Orleans, much of it is still not rebuilt. There's a lot of neighborhoods there that are still not rebuilt. There are neighborhoods that got bulldozed, peop- uh, pools that got filled in. And let's not forget, in Florida, you had about 3,000 people saved by rescue. I think it was 2,800. In, in, in New Orleans alone, in the city alone, you had 33,544 people saved from rooftops by just by helicopters. And, and, and that's not even including the water rescue. So, so there's lots of areas in New Orleans. A lot of these homes are handed down generationally. None of them had insurance. A lot of them didn't have mortgages. And so they still struggle today to rebuild down there, even though billions of dollars, right, $85 billion dollars, were pumped into the Gulf Coast. I think in Florida, this gets rebuilt faster, number one, because the devastation that we see is devastating, but there's lots of parts of Florida that didn't get devastated. When Katrina hit, it devastated not only New Orleans, but big parts of Alabama, big parts of Mississippi, and and even big parts of, of, of Florida when you get over toward Tampa. It was still a Category 1 when it hit. So I think this is going to be more manageable, and at the same time, Ron, I agree. There, there were over 1,800 people that died in Katrina, many of them African-American, many of them drowned when the, when the water came in. I think we're up to over 100 people right now in Florida. I, I think re- Florida gets rebuilt quicker and faster uh, because I think lessons were learned since Katrina. But I'm just going to be honest here. It, it's a lot of white people's real estate that got wiped out in, in, in Florida, and it's a lot of black people's uninsured real estate without mortgages on it so the banks didn't come in and force insurance because these are these shotgun homes have been handed down generation after generation after generation i I, it's going to be really interesting to me the way that florida gets rebuilt and the pace in which it gets rebuilt yeah those are those are good points that city you brought up in florida i was talking to my mom about that uh it's a small town it's not on the coast, but there are some lessons you could learn from that about the way they buried their utilities, the way that they were reliant on solar power for most of their energy. A lot of the infrastructure was very well done, but it was not a coastal community. It's inland. It's north of uh, Fort Myers. And so it, by the time the hurricane got there, it was still a big storm, but it was not the same thing that you saw right on the water when it when it. Yeah, I'll, I'll just finish. And this is something we didn't see during Katrina because people had flip phones then but we didn't have these amazing cameras that we have now if you go online and you watch people that stayed during that storm and you watch the actual storm surge come in their living rooms and their kitchens it's or or come up against the windows start pressing up against the windows and then you see people go upstairs and some people couldn't go upstairs so they drown 
it, 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 it's horrifying. Like, like to see the storm surge come in and it's amazing for you. Cause where you lived in Mississippi, you had a house that was up on stilts and the storm surge still sink, still came. It was higher than the stilts oh, it still came through that over home. 20 feet high there. Yeah. So that's the amazing thing. We can build homes. You can keep, maybe you hang on to your utilities. We can deal with the winds. We see a lot of these buildings that are still standing that didn't get wiped out. But how do you do, deal with the storm surge? And, and when you look around the country and really around the world, as a lot of these reefs disappear, they have the ability a lot of times, mountains and reefs, to slow storms down. And the more warm water they get, the bigger they become, the more ferocious they are when they hit landfall. And, and a lot of that, especially in the Gulf South, has eroded. So so there's no speed bumps to slow the storms down, right? Yeah, global warming is a real thing. Yeah. We'll see you on the other side. When the Martin family wanted to buy a house in Seattle for their son, Connor, after he got out of college, they turned to Ron and Don. Sent a message in their little portal. Got a message back within about five minutes from Don, and he set up a phone conference for about a half hour later. About two days later, we were out touring houses with him. Before they started working with Ron and Don, the Martins kept getting outbid. They just didn't realize how competitive the market is, but the guys worked tirelessly to find them the right house and then came up with a winning strategy to get it. They say, if we go in at this amount, we think we can we think we can jump ahead and have people close before uh, they intended to. And sure enough, it worked out. I don't think we'd have this house if it hadn't been for Ron and Don. And now their son has the perfect place for him and his two dogs, and the Martins say they couldn't have been more impressed with Ron and Don. I think both of them said at some point when we were apologizing at how many houses we looked at, said, we love looking at houses. They didn't hesitate to jump in and make this the house for us. It, they seemed very enthused for uh, you know a deal to get done and for us to be successful. And that felt really good. They were passionate and they, they were just honest and straightforward and uh, no, everything's great. Uh, you know, I definitely would recommend it. And if you're ready to buy like the Martins or sell, your journey starts with a Ron and Don sit down at ronanddon.com. My dad, Don, and his best friend, Mr. Ron. All right, you guys. Welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. We're we're actually recording this before the Mariners start their run on Friday. It's Thursday. They start their run tomorrow. Uh, Ron, we were both living in the great Pacific Northwest in 95. We got to know a lot of those team members uh, over the years. We have gone to, when it was Safeco Field, we played celebrity softball. I was on Dan Wilson's team. You were on Jay Buhner. When you look back, my son, I was explaining, we saw an interview with Randy Johnson the other day, and I was explaining to my son. I said, you know you were down in the dugout with him when you were four, and he was explaining to you how to throw a baseball, and you told him he was incorrect, and you corrected him because Randy was throwing it overhand. They were playing catch going back and forth. And my son explained to him that this is softball. You have to throw underhand. And right. totally corrected Randy Johnson. I'm sure Randy loved it. And Randy, you know what? Randy was great about it. He was really, really great. Anyway, we all love the 95 team. If 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 we if you were here, and, and when you look back now and you see all the talent on it, it seems like that team might have underperformed. You think? Yeah, but no one talks about that, right? Then you have the 2001 team uh, who did an incredible job at winning lots of games but didn't make it to the finals, and here we are now on Friday, and it looks like this team is going to make another run. Uh, it's pretty crazy to me because when you look at the batting average of the Mariners, they all bat about 200. There's, right. there's not a lot of not a lot of power. There's not a lot of guys batting 360, right? You don't. You, you're not sitting there going, "Hey, 
We got A-Rod who's in the 300s. We got Jay Buhner's in the 280s and hitting Griffey homers Jr. for power. You have Griffey Jr. And then on top of that, maybe, you know, you you look around. Edgar's going to come out of the DH. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you, you, you see. Ichiro. And that's the thing. In the playoffs, you have to have power. You have to have the ability to hit a home run off a 104-mile-an-hour pitch because everybody has great pitching. There's typically not a lot of scoring. So you have to have power. The Mariners don't have the power that Toronto has, but they have better pitchers, but it's only a three-game set, so everybody has real good pitchers in a three-game set. This would be interesting if they can get out of Toronto, and by the time you're hearing this broadcast, maybe you've already figured that out. So, so. the the wild card now is different, and, and I think people, if you don't follow baseball closely, don't realize it. Back in the day, it was a one-game play-in. Uh, on a lot of these wild cards. Now it's three games, and all three games are in Toronto, so there are no Mariner home games here. So it's best of three. All the games are in Toronto. The, the thing, I, I think I think about this a little bit differently because baseball is such a unique game. Um, getting to the postseason is like getting a C on your test because the number of teams that get in versus the number of teams that are in the league, it puts you in the 70th percentile just to make the playoffs. Yeah, because it's about so a dozen teams. That if make it if you think about that, that means that for the past 21 years, the Mariners have gotten a D on, on every single season, like, like 21 Ds in a row, uh, and now they've finally gotten a C. They squeaked in. They didn't win their division. They're not you know, one of the guaranteed. They don't have home field advantage. Uh, they barely got the wild card. I'm still celebrating that, but this to me is hopefully a stepping stone. There's, I have no expectation that they're going to make a deep run. I have no expectation that they're getting to the championship game. I have no expectation they're getting to the World Series. The expectation for me was to get into the tournament, to get to this spot. Get, this is a, get, a, get a seat at the table. Get a but, seat at the table, but not necessarily at the head so, of the table. So I have no expectation they're even going to win in Toronto. Yeah. The fact that they made the postseason was the achievement for this year. That is something you can build on. And so maybe we go from a C grade to a B minus next year, and then maybe from a B minus the following year you get to a B plus, and then you know maybe you start attracting some more players and pitchers if we can get into that upper tier where you're making a, a run for your division and you have a legitimate chance in the postseason. Now, anything that can, can happen, I would love to be wrong about this. I would love to have some sort of magical season uh, and or where they make this miraculous run. It, it's not my expectation, though. So I think just to contextualize this a little bit, we've gone from 21 years of getting a D or an F to now we finally got a C. <laughs> that's, that, that's all that happened. This is not some uh, fairy tale story that's going to, you know, we're going to be having a ticker tape parade uh, down in Pioneer Square, in my opinion. But it is a great accomplishment. It's really good progress. It's fun for me to watch the fans that have been, you know, their entire lifetime have never seen playoff baseball. That's fun for the old timers that, uh, you know, have been waiting for a long time. It's also fun. But let's not get it twisted and think that we're somehow uh, on track to make it to the World yeah, Series. Yeah, also by the time you've heard this, the the Seattle Seahawks have already played in New Orleans. They're 2-2. Two and two. What's really crazy is everybody in their division right now is 2-2. Two and two. How are the Rams 2-2? Two and two? Right. How are the 49ers 2-2? Two and two? That's incredible to me. I think we understand why Arizona is 2-2. Two and two. And then I think we're surprised – that the Seahawks are two and two. So the, I think the teams are all very different two and twos. 
We don't even when 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 the Seahawks have been great and had a great defense. We've never played well in that dome in New Orleans. We haven't. Uh, but what say you here? Because at the beginning of the year, I was really thinking that the Seahawks were trying to tank. It it doesn't look like Pete Carroll is trying to tank this team to move up in the in in the draft. It seems like he's trying to win each and every game. I've been impressed with with Geno Smith. Uh, because as a 10 year guy, it's like, if he would have, if he had it in him, he would have done it by now. Like usually, uh, especially at the quarterback position, it's rare that you bump around the league for a decade and you don't have your moment. So he's done better than expected. Rashad Penny is like a little mini Marshawn Lynch. I love the way he runs the ball. If, if Detroit's putting over 40 on you, 45, like the defense has some issues. <laughs> so, uh, like that's a fun game to watch. But that as, was so fun to win. as a strategy or as a long-term strategy to win win football games, letting the, your opponent score over forty is not a recipe for long-term success. Yeah. Finally, Tom and Giselle. Maybe this is my moment. I I, I think if she moved out of the house over him going back to work when he just had like six months off, I I don't I don't think it can be about him going back to work. I think there has to be something else there. I think somebody met somebody. She's going to live in her castle. He's going to live in his. It's pretty amazing, though. This is what I hope for them. I I imagine they're going to get divorced here. After 13 years and the kids that you've brought into the world, you, you, and, 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 and if you listen to him talk about being a father, he's in it. He is not some checked out father. He's, he is not. And, and you can take, hate Tom Brady all you want, but the more I learn about him, the more I like him. Uh, and they're saying she wants to go back now to being a supermodel. And all. I, I don't know why there's not room for both. For him to play football at 45, he's just working. He has been a very involved dad. She's been a very involved mom. Now she wants to go back to doing some supermodeling. But you have nannies and help staff and all that. And so 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 why can't you do it? There must somebody met somebody or there. I don't think so. I, I think you some, can. They're, they're, well, remember she, the story she, of the private jet and the girl, and she had all of Brady's rings on, and Giselle wasn't on that flight. It could have happened. Come on, but it also somebody can be the, met somebody. Yeah, here, it can also be the story of you know Giselle was in her late twenties when they get married, and you just you can say this was a successful marriage. I agree with years, that. I think kids, it was success. It doesn't mean it's necessarily a failure. Yeah. I think you could wake up in your 40s now and go, hey, we're different people now. We have different trajectories. Uh, I think that we can call this a relationship. A relationship has a lifespan. Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn, and they've been together, what, over 40 years, have kids together, family blended. They're not married. And who knows? Maybe they are. Maybe it's for tax purposes. We don't know. When you hear them talk about it, they say the reason they're not married is because they already want it. They always wanted the other one to know you can come and go as you, as you, as you please. And if this doesn't work for you anymore, just let me know. They check in with each other every year, every year they kind of have a business meeting. They sit down, is this working for you? And, and if it's not, what can we do to change it and make it better? I still believe when people get married, I think it's too religious sometimes. And, and I understand the religious and the spiritual component, but what about if you have a really high sex drive and the other person is asexual? That's not going to work. It's just not. Or maybe they're having sex to have babies. And once they have babies or once they've gone through menopause, they're not interested in that. anymore. Or maybe the guy's not. Or maybe when you met him, he was a real fit dude in his 20s. And now he's a real fat dude in his 60s. And you're not interested in dating him anymore. It, it People change. And I think there should be something in marriage contracts, whether it be a year, five years, 10 years, where you check in with each other and you say, hey, is this working? It's not. You know what? Let's continue to be co-parents. 
Let's continue to be friends, if that makes sense. Let's wish each other the best. This is a great 13-year run that that Tom and Giselle have. Yeah, so, so I'm not going to immediately jump to infidelity or something untoward. I think that's it's a possible. It's you possible. have to. we got to get some clicks, man. It's, what are you talking about? It's possible. Yeah. But I love how people are like, oh, Giselle is, is going to be a supermodel again. She's like, when did she stop being a supermodel? Yeah. Like she's she's been a very, very successful business person. Yeah, it's like me. I'm an American badass. When did I stop being one? Right? Same thing. Hey you guys, I'm sitting here with Mitch Weeks right now, one of the great sponsors of the Ron and Don show. He is a mortgage broker, and you can find out more about him at Mitch.loans. Hey, a really cool time to be creative when it comes to being a buyer. And there's sellers right now that are stepping up and saying, let me help the buyer by doing something called a buy down, right? Yeah, they are. And it's one of those things that's beneficial for both sides. Sellers give money up front for the buyers to buy down their rate and save money for the life of the loan. It's a really creative solution, really working for a lot of people. Yeah, there's also something called a 2-1. What's a 2-1? A 2-1 is where you get your rate bought down 2% for the first year, 1% for the second year, and then after that, you're home free in your current rate. But it's great savings up front, and then you have a chance to refi over the next two years. Yeah, good news, good time to be a buyer, good time for sellers to be creative and help that buyer. And Mitch, you can help everyone. Uh, how do people reach out? Go to Mitch.loans, set up a meeting, and let's figure out a creative solution for you. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron Don Show. Before we get out of here today, I think if, if you're out there and you're thinking about buying, selling, or investing in a piece of real estate, uh, we have a home that's up for sale right now. It just went up for sale in Mill Creek. And the reason why, the, it's actually a, a, a seller who, who is out of state in California. And they saw in this Mill Creek community that we had sold another home. And they saw the way we presented it, the way we brought it to market. And, and even in some rougher waters, we were able to secure a great price on this home that we sold. And so they saw our sign. They reached out to us. We did a Ron and Don sit down with them. And they said, hey, our parents are in their 90s. They have owned this investment property. They need to sell it, but there were some water issues where a pipe exploded. So I went in there and looked at it, and, and we had to tear everything out on this unit, you guys. We did. We had to tear it. The carpet had to come out. Flooring had to come out. Appliances, it all had to come out. And there were some things that were able to save. We didn't have to rip into the walls, and we were able to save some of the kitchen cabinets. We were able to save bathtubs, toilets, things like that. But, but we went in, we did some real deep work on this home. It wasn't super expensive. It's a, it's a shared townhome, a shared wall townhome. But, but we brought this thing to life. We put it on yesterday, and already three realtors have signed up to go in and, and to look at this property. The point is this. If you're going to go to market right now, if, if, if this particular home was for sale a year ago, you could have done none of that work. You wouldn't have to do any of that work. You just say, you know what? We're going to take this thing. We're going to put it up for sale, and we're going to sell it in its current condition, and you would have done fine, right? Now, it's different. If you want to get maximum dollar, you have to do the work. So in here, we put in all new flooring. In here, we put in all new carpet. In here, we painted everything inside. We added some new lighting to, uh, to this. 
And, and then we went out and we got new appliances. So, so we spent close to $40,000 on this particular unit, but we're going to get that money back out in the sale of it. We already see that there's interest in that. So my message is if you're selling, you got to do your work. If you want, if you want to get maximum dollar, you have to do the work. You have to invest in that property. You have to make a turnkey. It has to look like an HD television show. And that's what I do. That's what I do for properties. That's how I help our sellers get maximum dollar. There's a lot of other realtors out there with other companies that are discount brokers. And I drove by that one the other day with a Redfin sign in the front yard and there's sheets that are hanging as drapes. Uh, no one had cut the grass in years. And I'm like, that has to really be embarrassing, isn't it, for that realtor to hang their sign and put their name on it? I, I, I could never do that. I would be over there cutting the grass and hanging the drapes myself. So, and, and on the other hand, Ron, why are realtors showing interest in this property? There are still people that are out there in the buying pool because this particular unit is probably going to sell for fifty to $60,000 less than the other unit that we sold there probably nine months ago. The other unit that we sold, though, uh, had some bells and whistles that this unit doesn't have. So I, I, I don't think a correction of fifty dollars or $60,000 for our sellers, I still think that that's a great outcome. And for those buyers, that's a great opportunity where you can step in and you don't have to deal with 17 offers and 15 of those are cash buyers. No one's ever really a cash buyer because they're going to finance that thing anyway. They're just using their cash to be a bully and step to the front of the line, take that house down, and then they still turn around and finance it. So. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see how this transaction goes because you know, as we're doing this podcast, interest rates have snuck up into the sevens, which again, seems really high. It is very high in the last year that interest rates have doubled. Historically, it's, it's still relatively normal. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what type of buyer are, are coming out if they're a little more sophisticated. If you understand how interest rates fluctuate over time and what it takes to recoup uh, a, a, a refinance, those are the type of people I think that are jumping into the market that understand, yeah, this, even though I'm signing a 30 year mortgage doesn't mean I have to stay in it 30 years. Uh, and doesn't mean that I'm bound to this particular interest rate, uh, for the rest of my life. I have options. And that's, I think the, the interesting thing to me as we navigate this from the seller's perspective, also from the buyer's perspective, uh, is to know, to educate people a little bit and say, cause most people don't buy a house, uh, very often in their life. And so it's the education part that I really enjoy of saying there are moves and strategies that Ron and Don we have and we present to you where after we're done, people go, ah, it makes sense now. Uh, I had a lot of anxiety about loans or I had a lot of anxiety about the sales price. I had a lot of anxiety about when am I, when do I get my money so I can buy something else, maybe in a different state. And once you go through that education process, I think it takes a lot of that anxiety away and you're more confident to step into the game plan and get it done because you know okay, I, I have options here. There are different lanes available to me and Ron and Don are going to help me to pick the best one and then I can change it down the road. Yeah, and in a market like this that's correcting, this is when you don't have to go out and buy the, the turd ball of a house and do all the work yourself. Go find somebody that has done all the work and buy that house in this market because it still is very, very expensive to build. And I know that because I because I build and renovate homes all the time, not only for myself and my own real estate, but for our clients. 
this is this this is the opportunity to go out and buy that fixer upper if you want to learn that trait that craft and and you want to be out buy a fixer upper go find that home but but for those that are thinking about buying go find something that's turnkey where everybody else did the work somebody else did the work and now someone is in a situation where they have to sell because life is still going to happen. People are still going to buy and sell real estate. Don't get crazy about the interest rate. Get crazy about the fact that you can step in now, not compete against so many people. And the market has normalized, right? It's normalized. And and, and this to me is a good thing. It's a good thing. And I think inflation is going to sh- uh, slow down here in 2023, 2024. I think those interest rates are going to come back down. You'll have the opportunity. You bought something in a, in a market that was cycling to a correction. And you certainly be careful of reading the national headlines. Ron, you always talk about this. A lot of these big statistics we see and these headlines we see in the USA Today do not apply to us in the Pacific Northwest at all. Not only that, but a statistic for Everett doesn't apply to Bellevue. Yeah. And a statistic for Seattle right. yeah. doesn't apply to Renton. Yeah. Like there are uh, very specific micro markets in this, and, and, and I can do the research for you on that. Yeah. All right, you guys, if you need us, reach out. Ron and Don. Yeah. Ron and Don, sitdown.com. You can write Ron directly, Ron at ronandon.com. We can send you a buyer's playbook or a seller's playbook today. And again, everything is at ronandonsitdown.com if you want to get signed up for the newsletter. Our thanks to Les Schwab for sponsoring today's show. Also, Ron and Don Real Estate. Great job, you guys. We love you. When we need you, we want to sit down at ronandonsitdown.com. And Mitch.loans right now, he's educating people, Ron, about two one, uh, the 2-1 the buy-down, right? Yeah, you can uh, find his stuff in our newsletter and also on an episode from last week. Yeah, all right. Head up, shoulders back. We'll see you next time for episode 462. It'll be here before you know it. Right, Charlie? Uh, you'll see the Ron and Don show. All right, on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back. And keep blowing that trumpet, and we'll see you next time. Only! 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 On the Ron and Don Radio Network.